Outdoor Explorer. I'm your host, Lisa Keller. My guest today is Keegan Randall, uh, Olympic medalist and cancer survivor. But today we're mostly going to talk about the Nordic Ski Association um, because she is the new executive director and back in Anchorage. And Keegan, I think I can say from everybody here in Anchorage, we're really excited to have you home. And this is where you belong. (laughs) Well, thank you. I am super excited to be home when the first announcement went out that I was taking this new role, uh, I just got a flood of messages and it just made me super excited. And now I've been up here six weeks and it's just been awesome to be home. So have you felt a little overwhelmed, like six weeks, you're kind of getting slammed with uh, your son, Brett, going to school and is, is he in kindergarten or first grade or? He's in kindergarten. So the move up here was a bit more than I estimated uh, between moving 3000 miles Breck starting kindergarten, starting a new job. I'm also in the final semester of my undergraduate degree at APU. So I'm trying to get that wrapped up. I did the Boston Marathon two weeks ago um, and just continue to have my hands in all sorts of things. So yes, it's it's a lot of, a lot going on, but again, like back, to be back around friends and family and in such a comfortable environment, it's been super nice. So you were in Pentington, uh, P- did, do I pronounce that right, Pentington? <laughs> <laughs> Penticton. Penticton. Okay. Um, you were there and did you make the decision to come back because you um, just, it was time to make a change or were you offered the job at the Nordic Ski Association? Um, what kind of prompted you to move back or did you just miss Alaska? That's how most Alaskan kids get back. <laughs> Well, I mean, certainly after three years down there, I was, especially with the pandemic, not being able to travel because previous to the pandemic, I was able to get up to Alaska almost once a month. And so that kept me connected. Then the pandemic shut that down. Post-ski racing, I've been in this transition where I'm just trying to kind of figure out what my next step, how I can really take this 20 years of really unique experience and put it towards the next step in my career. And so it was actually um, a friend that called me and said, hey, the Nordic Skiing Association is looking for an executive director. Your name came up. Would you ever be interested? Kind of felt like it came out of the blue. But when I thought about it, I went, holy cow, what a cool chance to take that unique experience, come back to Anchorage um, and build some new skills for me. I mean, run, running an organization, you know, it's, uh, it's accounting, it's HR, it's all sorts of cool things that I was interested in developing. So what was fun is I got to let them know I was interested. Then I received the application. I filled out the application, cover letter, resume, everything. First time I think I'd officially done that. <sighs> and then I did like the full on interview with all the board on the zoom screen. And, and it was great. They really put me through the paces and, and, um, forced me to kind of think about um, what I was going to bring to the role. And then a few weeks later, we, we had it all settled out and then things moved quickly. That is super exciting. Super exciting. And you have a long history with the organization. This is where you first started skiing, right? My first, yeah, my first entry into cross-country skiing was the Junior Nordic program as a polar cub at age six. And then coming up through the middle school and the high school racing, doing the popular events like the Tour of Anchorage and the Ski for Women, um, all the way up through, you know, Olympic trials being hosted by NSAA. So I've always been uh, and, and skiing on the trails, you know, and, and then traveling around the world and realizing how unique Anchorage is and what it can offer with cross-country skiing. So having been a user of all those services, an observer, but now to kind of look under the hood, it's been really fascinating. Yeah. 
So you have been all over the world and seen so many different organizations that run similar programs, I'm sure, to what we do. And and how does Alaska stack up in terms of uh, Nordic ski development? Well, we have so many great things going for us here. I have not seen a network of trails in a city of our size and or bigger. Um, so that the fact that we have so much good trail available in such an urban environment, I think is really unique. Not only that, it's fantastic terrain. You can get from super mellow, flat stuff for beginners, all the way up to hardest courses I've seen on the World Cup. Um, we have the lighted trails, which are huge because um, that just expands the amount of time you can be out on the trails. Um, I think also the fact that uh, at least in terms of the United States, we don't have any professional sports teams here. So I think skiing as a winter sport enjoys a bit more visibility than it would anywhere else. And that's so growing up, you know, I idolized the high school skiers. I idolized, you know, the our Olympians that we put on the team. So I got to grow up with really relatable role models that helped me dream big and, and, and just the access to the programs and the fact that there's such robust middle school and high school sports. Um, so all of that, um, at the same time, you know, Anchored has been doing an amazing job for 50 years, um, but being out and seeing the way they're innovating snowmaking and snow storage and grooming technology and um, new event formats. Um, I, you know, I think I've got a lot of great ideas and I'm excited to help infuse into this community and continue to, to build on the great momentum we already have. Well, I think that's probably a lot of what you bring is that this, this worldwide experience of what's going on in other places and seeing what other places are doing. Um, do, uh, you know, we've always uh, talked about the difference in, um, culture like between the united states and europe especially in terms of skiing because it's such a cultural thing in europe to ski or at least in the northern um countries there um in terms of our culture do you, do you see like a similarity between anchorage not not even thinking about it being the united states but just anchorage or alaska and the culture of the big ski countries in Europe. Are we similar? Are we different? Do we put more emphasis on competition? Um, do they put more emphasis on just community? Cause you know, all of these trails and you're sitting behind this great backdrop of a trail going off into the woods. Um, but it does seem like we just, we don't put as much emphasis as most of the United States might on competition that we're really seem to really embrace that the whole community, this is just a community thing. Well, there's a lot of different answers to that question. I mean, certainly uh, the culture around skiing does mimic those places where there's so much tradition. You know, Scandinavia comes you know right off mind. You've got you know Stockholm and Oslo and Helsinki that have you know they're bigger cities and they've got a lot of cross country skiing going on right there. You're you'll be on the subway in Norway and you'll see people holding their skis. Yeah. Um, so I think we have a little bit about that of the fact that the skiing is so urban here. Um, but we do, um, we are a city of 300,000 people and, you know, we have 3000 members at NSAA. And so in my mind, there is so much opportunity here to improve our community awareness and get more people excited and involved with, uh, more integrated with the activities we do at Nordic Skiing Association, because we're in a unique situation where the city owns all the trails, but NSAA grooms the trails. 
So most other places in the US, you have private areas where the, the land is owned by the entity that grooms. And so therefore they charge a ticket, you know, you buy a ticket pass or a season pass and that's how they do it. But here um, it's open access and it's really on the honor system of, you know, hey, NSAA does trail work year round. We of course provide the grooming on most of the city trails. Um, and therefore we would love if people who go out and use the trails skiers or non-skiers because you know as there's a lot of summer and, and various things um get involved because that supports what we're able to do and then we can keep increasing the levels of service we can keep doing more community events and so um, i'm excited to try to improve that community awareness mm -hmm. because i th think sometimes we take for granted th those of us who ski that everybody knows what we do and that everybody knows how accessible it is and knows all the great things that we have to offer and you know, COVID was actually good because I think a lot of people did discover the sport for the first time. They got out and they went, whoa, I can, you know, I can, this is enjoyable and I can do this and look at how easy it is to do in multiple parts of town. So now that we have that interest, like let's keep building on that because it's such a perfect activity for all of Alaskans um, to, to get out there and ski. It's so good for physical health, mental health. Um, and so let's see if we can just continue to grow. Yeah, that kind of brings up um, that, especially in the wintertime, the trails that NSAA grooms are used. Oh, I have to say, I see more fat bikers out there than I do skiers nowadays. And so that's got to be a challenge to bring them on board too, to make sure that they understand that these trails wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the ski association. And, um, and I noticed that NSAA has done a lot more things like especially with races, trying to include fat bikes and things like that. So that seems like a huge market too. Totally. I mean, we're, we're like-minded people and, um, you know, I'll admit myself, I love fat biking. It's really fun. It's a great, great to mix in with the Nordic skiing. So I think instead of seeing it as two opposing groups, like let's figure out where we can work together. Um, you know, we love what the, uh, single track associates are doing or at single track advocates. Um, you know, we have added fat biking into the tour of Anchorage. Um, you know, it's again, really about good awareness, um, and continuing to discuss ways we can support each other. Um, and definitely the, the trail work we do year round kind of supports, um, the biking. And, and so we love it when, you know, everyone kind of respects the rules a little bit. And, and then we, we work together to continue to make trails, groomed high quality, you know, continue the access and everything. Cause yeah, I think, I think it's very harmonious partnership. Uh -huh. Um, and in the tour of Anchorage too, I like the combo, like you, you, is it the ski and then you come back and bike or are you, is it, is it a relay format or it's like the bike is later in the day? I can't remember now. Yeah. Well, we've been, I think we've been playing around with different formats, but the, the bike does start, um, a couple hours after the ski. So there are, are some people that can finish the 50 kilometers of skiing and still get back across town in time to start the 50k of biking and it's really only the last couple of skiers at the end i think that that get a couple of the bikers coming through mm -hmm. um, and what we've heard is actually those skiers are kind of happy to have some other people out there because they've been <laughs> skiing 50k all by themselves for a long way so um, yeah, so that's been a really popular thing. It's been a way to uh, to open up the event to more people and um, you know I think we'll continue to figure out that format and make it better and better. Mm -hmm. uh, is uh, Junior Nordic is such a driver of, you know, kids uh, learning to ski and then being able to ski later in life, getting those basic skills. Uh, and then, I, I mean, I'm kind of look at the bike deal too, you know, 
the mighty bikes now, I mean, I'm out there during that time when mighty bikes in the summertime, I'm up at service at during that time. And it's just like packed with mighty bikes. And then in the winter, it's packed with junior Nordic kids. And it does kind of seem like a natural alliance, um, between the two. Yeah. I mean, I think we get a lot of kids that, that do both. And, um, as a kid who grew up doing a lot of different activities, I think that's so good. Um, I think if, if I had started specific Nordic ski training at six years old, and that's all I'd done, I never would have had a 20 year career. Like I did. Um, I, I really believe access to a lot of different things and, and all that kept it fresh, kept it fun. And then when I got into high school, that's when I got more serious. So I love the fact that kids get to, um, bike in the summer. Um, we also have been discussing a partnership with the Arctic Valley ski club and, you know, could there be a way to kind of support kids who want to do a bit of Alpine and Nordic? Um, cause you know, our junior Nordic program is so popular, which is wonderful to see the enthusiasm, but it's kind of, um, it's hard to see that we can't get every kid who wants to do it into the, the slots that we have. So a big, uh, the big challenge we have is finding enough coaches. And that's something we're working hard to crack because I think if we've got, you know, last year there were upward of 400 kids in the waiting list, you know, this year we already over a couple of hundred. So we're trying to find ways to get those kids in and, uh, but potentially if we work with other, other groups, who knows, maybe there's some mountain bike coaches, uh, we could recruit to be junior Nordic coaches in the winter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, that, rem that, that's something I'd wanted to touch on a little bit too, is just this idea, because I think you're such a great example of, um, a kid who did not specialize early and you did so many different sports, uh, and you were just super active and, and you know how that really did promote a longer career. And there's a lot of evidence out there right now. Um, they've mostly done it, I think in like football, where um, the kids who don't specialize are the kids who the coaches are really looking for because they yeah. have more overall skills that they've developed and they haven't been injured because they're as much because they're doing different things. Um, so can, can you talk a little bit more about how, um, you know, the sports you did as a young kid and the team sports and individual sports and, and how you think that developed you as a skier? Well, I think I was just really fortunate to uh, come into a family that was very active um, on both my mom and dad's side, just the extended family. And then my mom's side of the family was here in Anchorage. So we had lots of cousins and aunts and uncles. So from earliest memories, we were just always doing lots of different things, summer, winter. And of course, Alaska is the playground that facilitates that. Um, but then my parents also did a really good job of letting me, you know, sign up for things that I was interested in, or maybe they thought I might be interested in. But the idea was I signed up for a season and if I didn't enjoy it, you know, if I want, or if I was ready to do something else, I had to see through that commitment of the season, but then I was free to do something else. So for junior Nordic, for example, I think I did it for ages six and seven, and then I got a little bit burned out and I got interested in other things. So I think I, I came back to it at age 10. And in the meantime, I did indoor soccer and I did alpine racing and I took tennis lessons and I spent a lot of time at the pool and, um, and I played football every day with boys at the, you know, uh, every day at recess with the boys. And, um, so it was just like a lot of different things, because I think when you're a kid, just the mental side of it too, it, it shouldn't feel like work. It should feel like play. Mm -hmm. And when you are doing things with your hands, things with your feet, um, working together with other people, also doing those things where you have to kind of be disciplined in your own head. 
it just, it challenges you and stretches you in a lot of different ways. And it kept it fresh. And then I started to get driven towards sports that um, the work, I could really see the work pay off. So by the time I got into middle school, I was starting to get into running and I was doing cross-country skiing after school um, because that's what my friends were doing. And then I was alpine racing on the weekends and I was doing basketball um, for, for, for that season and volleyball. And, um, and then when I got into high school, I had to narrow the scope a little bit more. So um, I actually tried to do alpine and cross-country ski racing at the same time. But the equipment was expensive to try to do it all. The training and the races were essentially at the same time. So I ultimately chose cross-country skiing because, again, my friends from running were doing it. And it seemed like a good cross-training thing. Um, and then from there, kind of started to realize, like, actually, I really like the way this makes my body feel. Oh, the 2002 Olympics are a couple of years away. And so it was like this giant funnel that just kind of kept narrowing. Um, but along the way, by the time at 16 that I started to focus on it, um, it was, it was just fun and it was fun to be in it. And, and it stayed, it stayed really fresh for me. Mm-hmm. I do remember a cross country season. It might've been your senior year where you had done the flat top flyer and i um, probably on skinny skis I'm imagining. And you crashed and broke your collarbone and then you ran for half the season in a sling. <laughs> that was actually my sophomore year. Okay. Um, and in the fall I had had, um, well, so coming off my freshman year, I was, I finished second in state and cross country running. And I, um, I think I, I won the 800 in track, but I, I still had ambitions of being better. So I, I maybe got a little too gung ho and I gave myself IT band syndrome in both knees. So that summer I spent aqua jogging and riding my bike. And one day riding to the pool, I crashed on my mountain bike and broke my collarbone. And this was two weeks or before cross-country running started. So I spent most of cross-country running season with a brace on um, and then finally got it off just in time. Eight months later, fast forward, coming off the ski season, we'll do one more fun race, flat top flyer, fly off a jump, a little bit out of control. Yeah, compressed four vertebrae in my back. And that happened to be a week after track season had started. So I spent most of track season in a back brace, a lot of time on the exercise bike, And it was after that year of having to go through a couple injuries that I started to kind of think about, like, I love running right now, but running has a high rate of injury. And then I just, my running coach, Harry Johnson had been running a summer training program up to that point, but he had moved out of town. And so I needed a new summer training group. And I ended up getting introduced to Jim Galanis, who had just started this youth program at APU. And within a couple of weeks of working with Jim and they'd brought on Frodo Lillefell, one of the um, uh, Norwegian racer who had just finished UAA. And within a couple of weeks, I realized I liked cross-country ski training because I got to use my whole body and it didn't have the risk of injury quite like running. Mm -hmm. So I almost say those injuries I had in 10th grade were a bit of a blessing in disguise because it just helped me kind of think about, yeah, um, what each sport meant. Yeah. Yeah. That, and it was just at the perfect time in terms of your development as an athlete as well. It was. Cause you know, I didn't, I hadn't roller skied a day in my life until age 16. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> but that was fine because when I got into it that summer, it was fresh and new and I continued to do cross country running and track through the rest of high school. And, you know, maybe that maybe I could have been a slightly faster junior skier, or maybe I would have made it to the world cup a year or two earlier. But in the end, from my perspective now, I wouldn't have traded it because I think I had an amazing experience in high school where I learned a lot. I had a great time, made lifelong friends. And then when it was time to focus, I just, I just had a nice runway and I just steadily built up. 
Well, those friends are almost all of them, I think, are still here because I run into all of them and they must be just tickled that you're home. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Like uh, pretty much all the girls that I ski raced with in high school, we've stayed this tight knit group of friends. They were all bridesmaids at my wedding and they were all the ones that were there with me, like wig shopping and sitting with me when I was in the chemo chair. And now that we're back, um, all, you know, we're all busy moms now, mm-hmm. but, um, we still find ways to get together. And it's just so cool to, to have like such a deep connection and, and history, um, with people. And my favorite way to socialize is to go out and run or ski. So, um, I love that my friends can do that too. And it's really neat to be able to raise your kids together too. It is. And, you know, we're all kind of a couple years in different places. And so we're kind of going through different phases together at certain times. But yeah, I think until you're, until you're in parenthood, you don't quite know what it's like. And so now that we're all in it at various stages, it's really fun to compare notes. Yeah. So after uh, cancer treatment, because, um, you had, um, both chemo and radiation, right? Yep. Yeah. And I, I can't remember, was it on your left side or your right side? Mine was on my right side. On your right side. Yeah. So you didn't get the radiation hit to your heart, but part of your lung probably got the radiation hit, right? Um, it probably did. Um, for me so far, knock on wood, um, I haven't noticed really any detriment other than I'm a little tighter on the right side, which I've tried to work on with physical therapy. Um, but it hasn't slowed me down from anything. Um, for me, radiation, I expected it to feel terrible, but I think because I was getting further away from chemo, I was actually feeling better and better. And I was here in Anchorage and I was a great winter that year. And I was skiing almost every day. And so I actually felt great going through it. And it was really kind of up and up from there. Mm -hmm. I actually had the same experience. I felt better during radiation than I did during chemo for sure. It almost like hyped me up. I felt like it, it like got my metabolism and just my energy level. Just like I was just bouncing off the walls during radiation. (laughs) Um, You know know what it feels like at the bottom, any step on the way up feels amazing. Exactly. It really does. Um, and did you have some lymph nodes, um, removed? I did. I did because I had a, I had discovered a positive lymph node kind of going into my treatment. So, um, but thankfully the testing they did, they ended up only taking out five. Um, so I haven't had any issues with lymphedema or anything. Right. That was the other thing I was going to mention. Anybody who's had a lymph node dissection is it's a, it's a lifetime thing to watch out for is the lymphedema. And then, um, which is just the accumulation of, uh, you know, toxins and stuff because your lymph nodes filter all that stuff out. And if they're gone, they can't do it as well. Um, but, uh, also that causes more scar tissue in that area. So, yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. makes it tighter. Mm -hmm. I definitely remember that feeling, but the, the good news is really the more you use it, the, the better it gets. It's, you know, it just like exercise, the more you use your body, um, the better things get, you know, people who've been running their whole life have better knee health overall than people have never run. So we know that that activity really increases lubrication in your joints and helps everything work better. So, so, yeah. And that's where I, you know, I'm so thankful to be a cross-country skier because mm-hmm. I'm realizing how few activities out there really get us to use full range of motion and use our whole body. Exactly. And now that I sit at a desk typing all day and it's easy to let your posture slump, 
I'm realizing again, I'm so glad I'm a skier because it helps me get out and really move around. Mm -hmm. And uh, that could be, that could be a really tough system if everything just continues to tighten and tighten and tighten. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, you can see how people get into that situation. If you're not very mobile that you just, everything just kind of compresses. So, I I mean, I really am, I'm obviously full on that exercise is the way to keep yourself going all the way through surgery, chemo, radiation, and beyond that you're going to be feeling better just about yourself in general, when you have to go through such a trauma to your body, you know? Right. It's, it's really about your expectations, just about what you think you should be doing. Mm -hmm. You kind of have to get rid of that piece and just go, Hey, getting out and moving is good. And I'm just going to keep an open mind and maybe you'll be pleasantly surprised what you're able to do. And it definitely makes you feel better. Last time we talked, which was the summer of 2019, right before the pandemic and everything, um, you were also involved with Active Against Cancer. And or is that, and that's all about physical activity becoming a part of standard cancer treatment. Yes, it's really about doing the research to prove the link so that when doctors are prescribing treatment and they're talking to you about chemotherapy and radiation they're literally talking to you about your exercise regimen as well. And um, Active has been successful in establishing workout centers in hospitals around the country there. And they've seen like much better outcomes because the patients now have a place they can come. They're with kind of people going through the same situation. They're working with coaches and trainers who understand maybe what their specific limitations or needs are. Um, And so really it would be great to get that jump started in the US. I was fortunate. I was treated at the um, Providence Cancer Center and they have an exercise oncology rehabilitation room and they have people on staff that will take you through an exercise program. Um, And so, but not every place in the country has that. So Mm -hmm. the work I do for Active Against Cancer, um, when I ran the Boston Marathon two weeks ago, we were fundraising for that research, um, is to really just continue to put the message out. Like now having been someone who has lived through it, I can truly say, yes, it makes a difference. I can give you physical examples of where it helped me retain less water or, you know, drastically improved my ability to cope mentally. Um, And so just continue with that awareness and then really encouraging physicians and caretakers to, to um, almost prescribe exercise as part of the treatment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I love it. You are listening to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Lisa Keller. We are going to take a short break, and when we return, the conversation with Keegan Randall will continue. You're listening to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. Find the show anytime as a free podcast in the iTunes Store, or connect with us online at alaskapublic.org. listening to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Lisa Keller. My conversation with Keegan Randall continues. So I did promise that we would talk more about NSAA too. So I I think we'll move on to that now. Um, And I was, I I know COVID affected everything and how has COVID affected NSAA? Well, thanks to some incredible um, staff and volunteers and board members Um, I think Nordic Skiing Association did an an amazing job last year 
putting COVID mitigation in place to, to keep safety at the forefront for everybody. But really almost every event we would traditionally do was able to happen. Um, the only thing I think we canceled officially was the ski train and maybe the 24 hours of Kincaid, but everything else. So we, you know, our solstice tree tour, ski for women and ski for kids were virtual, but people actually said they enjoyed it because instead of this mad rush, can you find parking and everything? there was a chance to really go out and enjoy these trails or these kind of events at your own pace in small groups, kept everybody safe. We were able to do um, uh, citizen racing, um, Besh Cup racing, which still qualified kids for junior nationals and, and middle school and high school. Um, and so through all of that, uh, we kept everybody moving, which we think was important for health physically and mentally. Um, it actually attracted more people to the sport because they weren't going on vacation in Maui in January. They were here to do some of our events. Um, so as we evaluate for this new, new season, you know, we know COVID is still with us and, um, you know, and we're very dedicated to putting those COVID mitigation members, uh, measures in place to continue um, the safeguards. But we're really learning that it, we found some of these hybrid models now that you know, we hope to be able to do a little bit more in person this year, but we may also have the virtual option so that everybody has an option that they can feel good about. Um, and cross-country skiing turns out is one of those really accessible things. Um, so um, I think people really enjoyed being able to get out there and do it. You know, it had the, the community, the togetherness piece, but in a safe way. Um, we also have had this like really dedicated group of volunteers, um, but they're a little bit on the older end. And of course, last year, as we were learning about the pandemic, you know, we didn't want to put anyone at risk. So we actually had some younger volunteers come in. And it was kind of cool because now we've um, expanded the number of volunteers we have. Um, we got to really appreciate what those longstanding volunteers have done for us, you know, tough shoes to fill. Um, but now that we've been able to bring in some new, we hope that we actually have um, more people um, so we can continue to expand. Some of those vol long time volunteers that you have, they have to be like in their 70s, 80s. <laughs> yeah, so NSAA kind of officially started in the mid 60s. And, and some of the members that really got things going as a real grassroots, um, we just want to ski type of, type of organization um, are still, yeah, um, helping run those middle school races and high school races. And so, again, we, we're just so incredibly grateful for all that they've poured into building the organization over the years. Um, but we also want to kind of support them with this, with this younger group coming in so that we end up really creating this legacy and this system yeah. that supports skiing in Anchorage for decades to come. I was just, I was just thinking some of these guys must guys and gals must be seen like the grandchildren of the, the original kids they were helping out when they were little and stuff like that. Maybe even, you know, yeah, it's crazy to think about, you know, just going through the whole life of the, of the organization and being with it for that long, a period of time. So, um, yeah. um, there was a big, I know that there was, because I contributed to this, there was a big purchase last year of a piston bully. Yes. So, so this is one of the things that NSAA does that maybe people don't appreciate when the, when all this grooming happens and whether you're a skier or a fat biker, I think those two groups probably understand, but maybe you're just out walking on the trails at in far North or, or wherever. And, um, you know, those trails are groomed and it costs a lot of money to groom those trails. 
<laughs> we have over 150 kilometers of trails that that NSAA grooms uh, in the winter and you know a big snowfall happens and that means you know we want to get skiing going as many places as we can at once so yeah having having several machines having the manpower to do it and then being able to really provide like the best possible trails and as the technology and grooming equipment continues to improve um, there's ways to make the trails smoother and firmer and you know wider and so we want to make sure we're at the front edge of that and certainly being able to bring on these new piston bullies every every couple of years really helps with that but um, I know that NSA had the slogan back in the day that said tracks don't fall from heaven. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so that's why, that's why we have this really cool model where, um, you know, we're not going to charge you a day pass to be, or a season pass to be on the trails, but if we all contribute to the club, then that allows us to continue a high level of service and to continue to improve. Mm-hmm. And if you compare like even our highest membership levels, which is 350 for an individual, 700 for family, you'd be hard pressed to get a season pass at any of the major clubs that offer a third of the trails that we actually maintain here in Anchorage. Um, And then that membership also supports our trails year round. So Mm -hmm. you get access to amazing trails year round, these wonderful events, um, and you get to feel good because you're supporting the club that puts it on. I I think when um, I've skied at like Park City, this is way back in the early 90s and Telluride, Um, the other thing that people don't think about is like, when, when you go onto those trails, you don't just step on them and start skiing. You actually have to, I mean, of course you have to pay for this pass, but at least at the time you have to make a concerted effort. Like you have to budget more time to actually buy your pass, you know, or your, your day pass, if you're just going for the day. So I mean, I think I walk across the street. I live at Lagos and Tudor and I can walk across the street and be on a ski trail and it's just amazing. It is. Yeah. Having, having the access at all parts of the city, again, the lighted trail system, the fact that you can ski from one side of the city to the other, it's, it's so unique. Um, and that's why if we all keep contributing and doing our part, we can keep it intact. Um, but the other thing that membership super important for is when we, you know, we work in partnership with the city. So when we get to show the great service we're providing the community, that makes it easier for Parks and Rec to justify them supporting us and things. And so the more we can kind of quantify who's out using the trails and show that they're engaged. Um, so, you know, we're not just taking, 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 we're, we're giving and, and, and really understand that it's a partnership. I think that again, just only helps us to be able to grow things in a positive way. And, and does the city have its own grooming equipment or you do, is NSAA doing all the grooming of all the trails now? Cause I think I remember like looking at, a at trail reports where it says that the city maintains this and NSAA maintains this, but it's been a while since I've looked at a, at a trail report. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm still learning um, a little bit of the, the real intricacies, but yes, the city does groom, like they groom the Chester Creek trail and the coastal trail. So a lot of the connectors and then APU actually has their own groomer and they groom a lot of the trails around the APU campus. Uh, But we do all of Hillside, we do Kincaid, we do the trails at Beach Lake and Mirror Lake Middle School at Bartlett. Um, So uh, the majority is groomed by NSA. I think uh, it was a little bit controversial, maybe next year or maybe last year that APU opened up their trails to walkers or something. I remember there some being some sort of like brouhaha over that. 
Well, it's it's always a, a little bit of a difficult um, situation because, you know, obviously there's a lot of walkers um, and to be able to give them safe, good, firm, good conditions to be out and walk, whether it's uh, just a walker with dogs, you know, fat bikers to come through. So we are lucky that we have some pretty awesome multi-use trails, mm-hmm. but it does take a beating on the ski conditions. Um, oftentimes it's hard to preserve the plastic tracks without getting, you know, potholes in them. Um, skating either gets mushy or, or it gets so firm, it's hard to hold an edge. And so, you know, it's, it's like collaboration and like, let's keep some of the ski trails for, for really good skiing. And it's also a safety thing because when you're flying down, you know, roller coaster or, uh, the hillside lighted loop, I mean, I've, I've been taken out by a dog when it was early season and walkers didn't realize that skiing, it, it, it had switched over because of course in the summer, you're welcome to be out there. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the community awareness piece. We just have to keep doing a good job. You know, as, as much as we expand ski only trails, we should also be looking for opportunities to expand walking trails um, and, and opportunities for fat bikes so that everybody feels like they have a fair chance to have good, safe places to recreate. Mm-hmm. So the um, so we're talking on October 25th. So I know like kind of your first official event, I guess, is happening this weekend, which uh, this program won't air until next week. So Anybody, if you're listening, the ski swap has already passed, but the ski swap is going to be this year at Lake Otis Elementary School, right? It is. It is. We did that last year. So again, a bit of our COVID mitigation, we didn't feel like it was going to be good to have it inside. So we did it at the covered ice rink um, that's right there by Lake Otis Elementary. Um, And it actually worked out great. You know, again, we're learning efficiencies and things that actually work pretty good based off of this COVID experience. Do you think this is kind of a trend? I kind of see this now, like maybe this is something that will stick these things that we used to have inside and think, oh, the only way we can do this is to do it inside. We're having to adapt and like, well, there's no reason why we can't be outside. People have warm clothing. They can go, and you know, participate in even down to like eating meals and stuff. And, you know, um, I've just seen so much innovation, like with restaurants having burn barrels and keeping people outside like all last winter, I would go by Sonosia Brewery and, you know, they had people outside all winter long. I was just so impressed. Well, if there's anybody who knows how to do things outside, it's Alaskans. Yeah. So, yeah. I think we learned last year we can do a lot. And uh-huh. um, so we've got our ski swap planned outside and then we're actually going to plan our annual meeting outside. We'll have a, a small portion. That's the, the the business part. That'll be on Zoom. But we're excited to host a celebration kind of out at Kincaid Stadium in the parking lot there, um, where we're going to have some activities for kids. Because um, let's be honest, when they're at the ski swap, they're kind of bored and, and getting into trouble anyway. So we'll have lots of activities for kids. You know, we'll find ways, uh, you know, to help keep people warm. We're looking at opportunities to have some fun food there. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of excited um, to try something new. So, um, and I might, I think I just missed this, but, uh, were you talking about the ski swap or the kickoff party? So the ski swap is coming up October 30th. Um, That will be the same we did last year. Um, check in. Uh, so right right now there's an online registration open. Um, well, I guess we don't need to go into the, yeah, it'll be be passed. So, um, So, yeah, so people will check in their stuff online. The ski swap will be two hours um, and it'll just be the one day. And then um, on November 6th, I believe, is the day that we have reserved for the annual meeting. And that's going to be kind of the kickoff celebration party out at Kincaid. 
and that's uh that's on saturday so this program is airing on thursday so it's in two days basically from yeah okay and so then what happens at the kickoff party so it's going to be a chance to meet our new staff um, because I'm not the only new one um, at NSAA. We have a new program director, Heather Lyler, who was um, uh, with us last year in an admin capacity, but she's now moved into programs. Um, we've got um, a new event manager coming on um, as we speak. Uh, so it'll be a chance to meet the new staff and really just kind of come together. Um, there'll be NSA merchandise available. Like I said, there'll be games for kids. Um, and it'll hopefully just be a chance for people to kind of come together and get excited about the season coming up. Uh, it, are there any predictions on snow yet? Like <laughs> as we well, sit here, the mountains are covered and people are skiing at hatchers and there's no snow in town yet. <laughs> well, we're really hoping for a big dump on either November 5th or November 6th. It's going to make putting on a big party, a little logistically challenging, but that's okay. Cause people are going to be so stoked and maybe they'll even be skiing around. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's anybody's guess when the season actually starts these days, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're putting all the things in place. So that when that snow comes, we're ready to jump into action. Um, we love the fact that uh, Hatcher pass has come on board and actually there's been a lot of skiing going on at Glen Alps because we, this is an Olympic year. It's hard to remember that with everything going on, but it's Olympic year. So we've got several Alaskans in the hunt for that team. And I can tell you from experience, it is so crucial to be able to get on snow this time of year to get a few good weeks under your belt before you head over to Europe and you have to jump into those intense qualifying races. Mm -hmm. So the fact that our top athletes are able to get on on snow right now is amazing. And we just, we hope we can do that in Anchorage um, soon. Mm -hmm. So uh, have you guys had discussions of how climate change is going to affect the organization? And uh, you and I spoke a little bit before we started about uh, the potential for n- more snowmaking equipment that will operate at a higher temperature, uh, but climate change could um, definitely be a-, a big factor in what kind of city we become. Well, there's no doubt our, that our, our industry relies totally on whether or not we get good snow. Um, you know, if Anchorage has kind of been a, a mixed bag over the last decade, I would say anyway. So we're starting to kind of figure out um, how to have contingencies in place. You know, when the snowmaking system went in at Kincaid as part of that Kincaid project, um, that was really good, but we've had to learn the system and, you know, it's had some challenges. So we've got guys working really hard to kind of continually upgrade and, and um, make those make that system work as good as possible. And my goal would be to, to have that in place as soon as the temperatures get cold enough so that we can start putting down that layer of snow that can be our base. Then no matter what mother nature does, we have you know something consistent, um, but that still depends on the temperatures being good. So there is innovation going on in the snowmaking world. Um, I've seen a lot of big places in Scandinavia also save snow over the summer. Um, and so I think that could be something we could look at here in Anchorage. If we can just, you know, we make snow midwinter when the conditions are good, we cover in sawdust and then, you know, come October here, we could lay it out. They do it in Canmore, Alberta every year. They call it frozen thunder. They wow. save this big pile of snow and then they lay it out. They get a 5k out. Um, and so, you know, I think Anchorage for, for what we, for as many people as we have excited about skiing for the elite level that we're trying to support here, um, we should look to find ways to put some of those in place 
um, that can be a little bit hardy against whatever the climate throws at us, mm -hmm. but it's going to be a learning process. And, um, we're, we're kind of at the point now where we're, we're looking ahead to kind of our strategic plan over the next five to 10 years. So, um, certainly climate stuff is going to be a big part of that. Mm -hmm. Well, this is, um, a La Nina year, which is supposed to be colder, but in a, the snow all depends on whether the precipitation lines up, right? <laughs> It, it, it does, you know, and, um, you know, we get those Chinook winds that blow in and that can really wreak havoc. I mean, you can have one or two days where it just happens to warm up and put scattered debris all over the trails. And then our guys, instead of spending time out grooming, they're out cutting trees that have fallen down. And so it, it just, it really keeps our operations guys on their toes. And that's why, I mean, I think the snowmaking system, having the right grooming equipment, all of that stuff. If you have it at a high level, then you're a bit more adaptable to whatever mother nature throws at you. Um, and so that's definitely something we're going to be watching. So let's see, let's run through a couple of other programs that you have. So we mentioned the solstice tree tour. So that's coming up on December 19th. Yeah. Do I have the date right? I, I looked online, so I hope the dates are right. <laughs> yeah. I'll be honest. That, I, don't, I don't have that one right pinned in my head. I know yeah. it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, around winter solstice. Right. Um, that was started five years ago and it's really enjoyed a, you know, great community response. I think people love the fact that, you know, the trails get opened up for that day or that, you know, period of days and business, local businesses get super into going out and decorating the trees. And so um, we're in planning right now for kind of what we want to do at this year's event, because last year it was virtual uh, completely. And this year, I think we're looking at a little bit of a hybrid, but that's going to be a fun one. Whose idea was the solstice tree tour? Cause that, is, that was brilliant when it happened. I was like, oh yeah, of course we should have been doing this for 50 years. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I believe Sarah Miller, uh, was the, the big idea person behind that one. Yeah. Oh, that was, yeah. What an amazing thing. I just think it, it, it just has this feel of not only just supporting NSAA, but also just a community event that is around a really important time of year for us as Alaskans, you know? Um, so sol winter solstice is just such a special time of year. And I just thought that was brilliant. Yeah. She, and she does a fantastic job with it. It's just <laughs> beautiful. Um, so then, uh, the ski for kids, which is, uh, like in February and March, um, that's, that was usually a one day event too, wasn't it? Now it's over a period of time. Last year for COVID, we did move it to a virtual event and had the signage up for three, four days, or maybe even a week. Um, so again, I think kind of discussing a hybrid model this year, um, that one is, it's so much energy when you can get all the kids there and you can have the, the cost, you know, the people out in mascot costumes and various things. So we're hoping to be able to bring some of that back and, you know, by, by end of February or March, you know, hopefully the COVID situation is better. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was also kind of cool that families could come out and just, you know, go along the trail and there were storyboards and various fun things that anyone could do at their own pace. Um, you know, and for some kids, they might prefer that. So we, yeah, um, I think that'd be fun. Uh, and the ski, the ski train you're hoping to bring back this year, but again, COVID dependent, right? Um, yeah. I mean that we love that event. It's so, yeah. so fun, but that one does present a little bit more of a challenge just because you can't help, but have people kind of tight in. Right. So, um, right now the railroad has some, some policies in place that are looking like that one might be tough to pull off. Mm -hmm. 
But instead of just saying outright, we're not doing it, we're leaving ourselves a little bit of a window, you know, staying optimistic, having the right things in place. So should things change and, and it becomes a possibility, we're ready to spring into action. But um, that might be something we look forward to bringing back next season. Is there, um, and this uh, might be controversial, but is there discussion of having like a vaccine requirement? Well, every, everything's on the table. Um, you know, I went to a fundraiser on Saturday night for the American Cancer Society, and uh, they had everybody check their vaccine or do a COVID test at the door. Mm-hmm. And we were able to have a gala and raise money for a very important cause. So yeah, I think there's creative ways to do it. Um, you know, that one, uh, you know, we have to hit a certain threshold in terms of the number of people that go to make it cost effective. Um, but you know, again, we're willing to be creative because we, we love that event. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that people look forward to that all year long. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, the, the ski for women is slated for February 6th. Um, and that has been kind of, I think last year was, um, was it a mix last year of hybrid and in-person or was it or um, in-person and um, virtual or? I think technically it was all virtual last year, but okay. several people did kind of coordinate and go out on the trail around the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had we had the trail set up um, so that people could um, more or less kind of do a run through of, of what the normal event would feel like. Um, the unique thing about this year is that we set our date and um, put our permits in with the city. And then the NFL went and moved the Super Bowl a week, a week later. Like it's always been Super Bowl Sunday. What should we do? And we went, well, as cool as it was to do Super Bowl Sunday, we're sticking with our date because that just, you know, that makes sense. So we're hoping to be in person this year. Um, you know, that event has been going on. I mean, I did that in high school and high school was 20 years ago now. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) You know, it, it's it's always fun to kind of take a long-standing event like that and preserve the tradition, but yet always innovate a little bit. Mm-hmm. So there's a really awesome volunteer committee. They've already been meeting. You know, excited to put on a great event this year, and um, and I think it's going to be going to be fun to and probably be a little bit of a hybrid again. I think it's the the oldest. Is it the oldest and largest all women ski event in the nation? I think. I think so. Yeah. 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 And and of course, that's another thing I think that makes um, Anchorage so special too, that uh, I don't know if there's any other place in the United States that has all these women sporting events that, you know, or women only, you know, the ski for women, the bike for women, gold nugget triathlon, the run for women, and that they've coordinated together also to, you know, send out the patch for somebody who does all four of them. And um, they're all for really good causes. So um, I think it's, definitely such a special event. Yeah. I mean, growing up here, I just assumed that's what they did everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I find out it was like, in, I show up in Penticton and I'm like, great. One of the women events. And it's like, what, we don't have a run for women. We don't have a ski for women. So we are pretty That's crazy that they don't have anything like that. Yeah. Cause you just do totally assume that that's what we have. I mean, you yeah. look at, I think the oldest of all four of them would be, well, if you included the Alaska run for women slash no, the Alaska women's run slash the Alaska run for women. If you included them together, I mean, that's been going on since I was in high school. So even longer than you, Keegan, <laughs> like, du- like double how long you've been out of high school. And, um, so, I mean, I was 16 years old in 1980 and running the women's run. And so I grew up assuming that there were always women's events too, you know? 
So yeah. that goes way back for Anchorage. Very progressive city we are. Yes. <laughs> uh, the, the one thing I, I think I had vaguely seen this, but didn't realize it. And then when I was looking at the um, website again, is the, that there is actually a program, NSAA program that's at summer solstice. And that's the jumpathon, the midnight sun ski, and it's the at the Carl Ide ski jump facility at Hilltop. Yeah, so the jumping program is like this, like this amazing little secret um, that we that we have with NSAA. Um, we are one of the only ski jumping complexes, I think, like on the on the in the Pacific Northwest that still exists. You know, ski jumping had this awesome glory period in like the 60s where they were building ski jumps everywhere. They used to have one in APU. Um, but thankfully, thanks to the the Ide family and then some other families that have really, you know, kept the passion there. Um, not only do we still have ski jumps, but they have summer jumping and they just got a, a winch cat to be able to improve the jumping conditions in the winter. And last year, I think participation was up like 70 percent in, in the program. Um, they just added women's Nordic combined to the Olympic program. So now we've got kids training for Nordic combined ski jumping. And so the midnight jumpathon was really cool because the kids are just like going off the jump, going off the jump and, you know, raising money um, for that program to continue to grow. And if you haven't been out to those um, ski jumps, they're over there by Hilltop ski area. Um, pretty cool when you see them on the, on the hillside and see all the little jumps the kids start on and then gradually build up to the big one. Um, so that's a program. It's great to see the growth. The, did you ever go off the ski jump at APU? Um, I definitely went down the in run or the out run on my, um, like flyer sled. Uh -huh. um, that was the biggest, my grandparents lived over there, but I, um, I didn't go off the jump and that's one of my regrets from my childhood is that I didn't go off the ski jump when I still had the guts to do so, because I'm pretty sure nowadays I would have a hard time getting myself to go off. of it. Yeah. That totally seems like something you would have done as a kid, but yeah, right. <laughs> Once you become a mom and you get older, it's like, uh, no, I can't risk that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but you know, the great thing about seeing that jumping program really doing so well, and you know, this partnership we're potentially talking about with the Alpine program, um, at Arctic Valley is uh, back in the day when you skied, you skied, like you did all of them. You jumped, you did Alpine and Steamboat Springs has a winter, uh, their winter sports club has a really cool program where young kids end up coming in and they do all of it. Mm -hmm. And so um, would love to see that integration continue on so that kids do get exposure to all the different types of ski formats. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause again, it develops so many great skills. You try everything, it pushes outside your comfort zone. And, um, and then you can figure out kind of what, what you enjoy the most. What do kids land on, on those ski jumps in the summer? Is there some sort of AstroTurf or something? Yeah, I think it's a fancy AstroTurf that they okay. spray water on. And so oh. it makes it slick enough for the, the, uh, the, yeah, what's the base, um, the base of the skis just slides along. So oh, it's okay. pretty cool to watch. Yeah. That, that was my my big question on that, like, what are they landing on? <laughs> yeah, what's cool is the AstroTurf too. It makes it look nice and green, um, the outrun. So, uh huh. Oh, fun. That sounds like a lot of fun. Um, so we only have a couple minutes left, and um, of course, we now we've gone through most of the programs that um, we have, and we haven't talked about biathlon and. Um, of course, um, NSAA has lessons to adult and kid lessons, private lessons that aren't affiliated with junior Nordic. Um, I believe we just do the adult lessons. Okay. 
um, under the NSA umbrella. Um, the city of Anchorage does offer a program called Little Nordics. Um, Cause I was, I have a five-year-old and I was kind of like thinking, oh, I'll just come and sign him up for Junior Nordic and went, oh wait, Junior Nordic doesn't start till six. Mm -hmm. So we're looking into either the Little Nordics program or, or maybe just getting out with friends and skiing. Um, Great thing about kids is a lot of times they just, you put them on skis and they intuitively figure it out. Yeah. Um, just, just being able to get out there and just play around on skis is great. But the adult lessons are really exciting because cross-country skiing is a sport where, you know, anyone can jump on a pair of skis and do it. But of course, if you get a few tips on how to get weight transfer and balance and just get the coordination of the arms and the legs, that is like unlocking, you know, just more and more fun in the sport. So right. definitely, um, if you're new to the sport, I definitely recommend looking up those adult lessons. Uh, and then biathlon. I mean, we have like a, a fairly new biathlon facility that was just redone a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. So that was also part of the Kincaid project. I mean, they built a world-class biathlon range, but this is again, where Anchored is very unique. Um, I can't think of another place where you have a professional biathlon range in the middle of a city. So, you know, in particular, like there's a popular trail that goes behind the range. So, so the biggest thing about being able to run a biathlon facility in a city park is safety. And so that's why um, NSAA basically runs the biathlon range so that we can just make sure the right protocols are being followed for safety, um, you know, with the, the bullets, making sure we have uh, the proper cleanup and, you know, environmental stuff in place for that. Um, so we run the the range um, and we appoint um, safety officers that kind of keep track. And then there's a couple of clubs in town that actually do the development of the sport. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I'm really just thrilled that you had the time to visit with me today and fill us in on what uh, NSAA is doing. I don't think uh, there's been an outdoor explorer on NSAA in a long time, so, or a representative. So it was really good that it's you and um, from all of Anchorage, we're happy to have you back, Keegan, and thanks for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to seeing everybody out on the trails. That's it for today's show. Thanks to my guest, Keegan Randall. On alaskapublic.org, you can find pictures and links to the Nordic Ski Association of Anchorage, Active Against Cancer, and Keegan's personal website. The show was produced by Eric Bork. My name is Lisa Keller, and from all of our hosts here at Outdoor Explorer, thanks for listening, and we'll see you outside. Outdoor Explorer is a production of KSKA Public Radio in Anchorage, Alaska. Theme music is by Portugal, the man. Views expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect the station or its underwriters. You can find Outdoor Explorer on Facebook and in your favorite podcast app. To see what's coming up on Outdoor Explorer and add your voice to the conversation, go to our website at alaskapublic.org. Life Informed, this is Alaska Public Media.